A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. My guest on this week's show served as a writer on Saturday Night Live for nearly 20 years before showing the world what she could do as a performer on shows like AP Bio, Girls 5 Eva, and my personal favorite, Documentary Now. I gotta go, take 15. I gotta go, take 20. I've gotta go, ah! I got a hail of pumpkin coach, sake. Take 22. I wanna go, I wanna go to the eye doctor now, as previously stated, you pompous beta males. I gotta go, take 27. You know what? I'm just going to go. I hope you all have terrible lives. Thank you. Wonderful job, orchestra. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Paula Pell channeling Elaine Stritch in Documentary Now. As I told Paula during this conversation, I have been wanting to have her on this podcast basically since we launched it about four years ago. She is not only an SNL writing legend, helping to create characters like the Spartan cheerleaders and Debbie Downer, but in recent years, she has become a standout comedic performer in her own right. That includes her most recent appearance in the upcoming second season of Kevin Hart's action comedy series, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, in which she plays the mother of one of my other favorite guests on this show, Ben Schwartz. This episode is a real treat for the comedy nerds listening because we went deep on her nearly two decades as a writer on SNL, from the unusual way she joined this writing staff in 1995 to why she ultimately made the decision to leave in 2013. So let's get into it now. Here's me with Paula Pell. I'm so excited that we're doing this because I, I don't know, you probably don't know this, I, but I have been trying to get you on this podcast for years. We've been, we've been doing it for four years and this is not the first time we've asked you. So you I'm, uh, I'm well, thrilled uh, <laughs> that we're it, doing it. it. I'm hoping it was when I was, um, I'm hoping it was when I was, uh, you know, just shooting something and they were like, yeah, she's on a schedule and she can't yeah, do I'm it. Sure. Well, you're a very busy person. So I, I don't remember, I don't remember saying no to it, but who knows? It could have been a weird, a weird time. But I'm happy I'm here now. Yeah, me too. We're talking the uh, the morning after the Oscars. Uh, did you watch the Oscars last you night? Know, you know what? I, I taped the Oscars and I watched a little of them, uh, but I taped them. So I'm probably going to watch them today. Yeah, I was I was curious if you if it affects how you watch it, given that you've written for the Oscars so many times. Do you watch it with that eye of like wondering where the jokes are going to go or where, you know, how they're going to handle certain you know, things? It, it always, it always feels it's been a long time since I've written jokes for them, but it always makes me a little bit nervous, like monologues. And, you know, we, we always talk, we always talk about this people that have lived through the experience of SNL is, is there certain things? And one of them is like a monologues for a special or for different things that you've all, most of that staff has worked on before or monologues in the show every week is it, it, it gives you a little bit of diarrhea. It gives you a little bit of like <laughs> comedy diarrhea where you're like, Oh God, I hope that we're, and it's not even your jokes, you know, but you're just like, if something doesn't hit, you're just like, Oh God, we should have switched that out to the other thing. So it, it does bring back a little bit of, uh, of PTSD, but, uh, for, for those purposes, I don't know how much these things kind of leave your brain after you do them, but um, when you think back to you know writing for the Oscars or writing for the Golden Globes with Tina and Amy, are there any jokes that you still remember that that stand out uh, that you thought were particularly funny? Um, gosh, you know, I really, really would have to go back in in my in my files and see. Um, I mean, I thought so many of their jokes were funny. I think the other thing with award shows is oftentimes there's such a wide swath of people working on it because there's usually like two or three that are full-time on it. And then, and then they kind of widen their thing of like sending you an email and going, Hey, you know, you want to do some jokes for the golden globes? Here are the setups and here are the, and so you kind of lose track of what got on of yours and what, what didn't. But, um, I think I got, I think I got 
uh, one or two jokes on the Oscars when, um, I want to say when Steve Martin hosted, I can't remember, but <laughs> I think one of them was actually a joke that I was like, oh, that would not be an, that would not be an acceptable joke anywhere. It was just a little bit of a sexist <laughs> joke. It was like about some lady's dress or her nipples or something, but uh, okay. you know, I was, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't fly today. No, it wouldn't fly. It wasn't, it wasn't horrible, but it was just kind of one of those where I was like, oh, that's right. I, I got a joke on the Oscars. And then I was like, it, it's like at SNL, you know, oftentimes we'll, we'll be like looking back at a sketch and you watch it and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that joke was in there. It's like, wow. Yeah. We really have how, all how times uh, become more aware of, of our world and, and uh, you know, that we're sharing it with many many different people in the world and we don't need to do jokes on behalf, you know, um, not on behalf. I can't think of the word, but, um, at, at the expense of, yes, <laughs> Nana's losing her words today. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, exactly. I'm um, getting ready to shoot girls five Eva again, season three. And I sit, I sit and look at my scripts and I'm like, Oh man, it's been a while since I've like really learned, you know, learned significant amount of lines. And I'm like, I hope, I hope this little spongy brain that's still hanging, hanging in there. Um, cause I'm turning 60 in a month. So it's going to be it. I hope it, I hope it keeps going. I hope my brain keeps <laughs> working. Cause my brain is my, is my, is my, my, uh, my work. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Girls five Eva. very excited that it's coming back. I know it was a little like precarious there for a minute and then, uh, Netflix swooped in and, and picked it up. Is that what oh happened? Oh my God. Yeah. It was so wonderful. I mean, we never, I guess, I don't know exactly what happened in terms of like, I don't think we like officially got canceled or anything, but it was kind of in limbo. And then Netflix, you know, they really wanted to get more viewers and, um, so it was such an enormous relief, but also just fun because it's going to be on Peacock too, I believe. And so it's, it's just anytime you can get more people to watch anything these days, because there's so many things, but also with, you know, I think people are getting a little bit oversaturated with things. So they tend to go, I know I do. I tend to go to the ones that I normally go to instead of going like, Oh, I want to find out all the different new offerings at this channel or at this channel. So I I'm trying to do that more because a lot of times I miss out on stuff that is really fun, but, um, I do, I am so excited that, that like even people in my life that have always said like, well, I'll wait till it's on something that I have, you know, (laughs) they'll they'll, they'll do that kind of thing. I don't know how to get Peacock, but I I know how to get Netflix. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm, I'm very excited to have people uh, sort of find it and, you know, we can tell them when it's coming and it's going to be a nice, tidy uh, six episode season. It's going to be really, really, really funny. I, I did not, my, my wife, Janine, Rito wrote on it this year. And, you know, I would, I would hear things here and there. I, you know, if she was on zoom or it was in person this year, but if she was on zoom, uh, for something I'd hear, I'd hear them cooking up hilarious hilarity. And then we've had the table reads and, oh my God, it's a real, it's a real funny season. My character is, is kind of, we're touring the country and I'm, I'm really trying to slut it up and like, you know, get some action. <laughs> Gloria's trying to, you know, make up for lost time. Does that mean that your your so your wife Janine plays your ex wife on the show? Yes. But does that mean that she's not in the picture in uh in she's season in the three? picture she's in the picture in season three, but it's it's not you know at the end of last season, I we got a house together, we got an apartment together, and all that. We're gonna we're gonna do it, and we're back together. And then I I at the very end said, I think I need to go sow my oats oats so. Uh, and then we went on tour. So we're right, on tour yes. and I'm, I'm trying to, sow I'm trying to sow my oats, but it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to be. <laughs> I, I found out when I became single in my fifties uh, that it's not easy to go sow your oats in, in your fifties when you're, <laughs> when, especially when you're, a, 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 well, I think any woman it's difficult at that age, but it is also hard when you're a gay woman and everyone is kind of seems coupled up and they all, they all have their fire pit, you know, they all have their cats in their fire pit. 
I love how much of your yourself you put into this role. Um, it seems like it must be one of the closest, uh, you know, people to you that you've you've played in some ways. Um, and you, including your uh, your knee replacement, was became a major oh, yeah. plot point in, it the, was, in the show, it was, right? It was really crazy because I got double knee replacements six years ago in LA, and and uh, <clears throat> they did great for you know many years, and then. Uh, we did, we shot the first season of the show and then I was in that summer waiting and we were pretty sure we were getting a pickup and we did. And then we were thrilled. I'm so excited. And my knee just started hurting, hurting worse, worse. And I went into the doctor here and they were like, it, it has collapsed. There was something wrong with the way it was glued and it, it like actually was kind of collapsed on itself. So I was like, Oh, okay. So how do you put the glue in or, you know, lift it up? And they're like, you don't, you just have to get a new, do it all over again. So I called Tina and Meredith in tears because I, you know, we were so high on this new show that people were, we were getting good reviews and everyone is loving it and so excited to be performing and it was so much fun. And then I was just like, I, I'm going to need like two solid months to recover. And it just fit in like a wedge, you know, and I got a wonderful surgeon in New York and I, I just fit perfectly in, but at that tail end, they, they were just being cautious that they had to put it in the show in case I got there and started working and being like, I'm going to have to really be limpy, limping a lot. And I, I, you know, sometimes had to kind of fake a limp because it healed so well, but um, but then, you know, we, they came up with the funny thing that I did like a drag queen death drop and, and just really <laughs> messed it up, yeah, <laughs> which man. I did recently on the ice. And I thought if I did this again, after season two, like oh before season three, I was just beside myself and it, it, it was fine. That's good. Yeah. Well, it ended up being a really funny part of the show. So it worked out. How long is the recovery for this? It's a major surgery. 12 weeks. Oh, 12 weeks. Well, that's a momentum murderer. Maybe Tate will understand. Yeah, they have an April rollout. They're not going to want me to promote their label post-op from a Hannibal Lecter board. Oh, hey, Hoda, I know you booked us to lead a hip-hop yoga class, but what if instead we just teach America how to drain an incision site? I might watch that. What would happen if I put it off? What do you use to prop up half-dead NFL players? Yeah, well, it was so fun to play being you know, so messed up on those pain meds because I've done that before. And it reminded me of, um, at SNL, we would do the all nighters and we would be so ungodly delirious. And we, I, you know, I'd be there for like 37 hours by the time I leave on Wednesday night after they pick the show, because we do Tuesday night, all nighter. Then we'd go home for one hour to like wash our bods. And then we'd come back and have an egg and cheese sandwich and do the entire table read all day. (laughs) And then we'd pick the show that night and then we'd all go out for dinner. So you were just absolutely delirious. It's good that none of us like accidentally ran in front of a city bus during that time because we were all very unsafely out of it by the time we, and we weren't even doing the drugs. We weren't the era. We were the, you know, drinkers, we weren't doing all the all the seventies. <laughs> yeah, things have changed a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I don't know how you how you did this for so long. I mean, you you were a writer on SNL for eighteen seasons, I believe. Yeah, Is that eighteen right? full seasons, and then for two seasons, I did like partial partial, uh, which was heaven because you could yeah you, you could drop in. You didn't and have to. Yeah, you dropped in. You could be like the hero for something, and then you're just like, oh, I'm not. I'm not here next week. And, uh, it was very, but it was hard to get used to It's still, it, you know, anybody that worked there, like my best friend, James Anderson left two years ago and, you know, he and I will sit there and talk about like when you're watching the show now, it's just, it's an experience in your body because the set, you know, I was telling a friend that we were watching this last week's show and I was telling her that really, truly the theme song at the beginning of the show is so specifically tied biologically in your body to panic and cortisol (laughs) because we would right before the show started, we would have notes and then things would be changed. And then the music is starting because it's in the pre-show. So you hear the band and then you have like 20 minutes to go tell the host, all the changes to go find the actors, to give them the changes, to go tell costumes. They're not going to have a hat, you know, it's just all that stuff. And God, 
when I think back on it, I, I remember a documentary, I can't remember which one it was, about SNL, and I remember Daryl Hammond saying the most perfect thing is he was like, I couldn't believe that my nervous system survived it. Like, it's that kind of feeling where you're like, my heart is pounding. It, it's kind of like the college feeling when you're trying to get through college. And, you know, at least I, when I had like different on incompletes, cause I was doing theater and I would get all backed up and then I'd be just doing these term papers with like 40 hours of no sleep. And it's that kind of feeling where you go, my heart is really, truly being taxed right now to a dangerous, <laughs> dangerous place. Yeah. I remember that you, I saw in some interview, you said that working there probably shortened your life by about 10 years. And I, I know. I that, don't want to think truth that. To that? I don't want to think that now because I have a wife who's 20 years younger than me and I'm <laughs> I'm turning 60. So I'm hoping to God, no, I'm trying to undo a lot of it. But, um, you know, that's why sometimes now I just, I really truly do like sometimes sit in in a recliner and stare for like an hour with <laughs> four dogs on me. And I'm like, I need to replenish my brain cells. Yeah, you deserve it. I never would have ever wished it not to have that experience. It was so amazing. I've had a lot of nostalgic things this year with people where we, we just really have that feeling of like, what an incredible experience. I, I would imagine people have that with, you know, whether if they were on a sports team or different things where they say, God, to have that memories of that, you know, at the time I was losing my mind, but like, really, I would not trade that for, for the world, but I do love like going to bed at 10 o'clock at night now and waking up at <laughs> 6 30. I really do. Coming up, Paula takes us back to the moment she landed her dream job on SNL and reveals why she ended up staying at the show for nearly two decades. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our episodes with Paula's Girls 5 Eva co-star, Busy Phillips, and her diehard co-star, Ben Schwartz, as well as our conversations with other legendary SNL writers like Robert Smigel, Mike Schur, J.B. Smoove, and more, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Paula Pell. So uh, I would love to just hear the story of how you started there, um, because it wasn't a very traditional path to SNL, right? And you weren't sort of sure when you got hired, whether it was for the cast or as a writer or what was going on. So yeah, what do you such, remember about that time? It was such a surreal thing. I I got out of college at UT Knoxville. I moved home because I had absolutely no money and I had, you know, brought my dogs and cats home with me and lived with my mom and dad again, who are very dear and very supportive. And I moved back into my childhood home and uh, I started working at the theme parks as an actor after about a year of working at the mall and like crying in the bathroom every coffee break. Um, I, I auditioned for Disney and for, you know, Universal. I started at Disney for a few years, a few years. 
And they were such fun, amazing jobs. Cause especially mine, cause it was at night. So it was, it was a real true, like feeling like you have a theater job, you know, you're in front of a lot of people performing and it was a little adult. It was at pleasure Island. Um, so it was like all the nightclubs and stuff. So you could do you could do comedy with adults that were on vacation without their kid, and they're they want you to be a little body. And I played a I played this crazy character that was so fun, and and so I was doing that for a while. And then after a couple of years of that, I had a great time doing it. And then a couple of years of that, I went to Universal, and I worked at the Murder She Wrote post production show. There was an actual like full building that was one of the big rides. It wasn't a ride, but it was an attraction. And it was all about the making of Murder, She Wrote, because that was such a hot show at the time. And I loved Murder, She Wrote. And so I was sitting in the green room at the Murder, She Wrote post-production show with all my dear friends who I had done a lot of improv with and everything. And And there was a group of them who are all really talented actors, many of them who live in L.A., um, that are such funny, brilliant, like improv people. I didn't really come from improv. I moved, I got, I was born in Chicago area, but I moved when I was 15 to Florida. So I didn't ever do the second city stuff. I didn't ever do groundlings or any, any improv. So when I was in Orlando, there was a great group there called SAC, SAC theater and they did these nights. They were very popular theater downtown Orlando and they would do these nights where they would do like sketches and they asked me, because I worked with them at Disney, they were like, do you want to just write some characters and and just come out and do a character? Oh, that was up my alley. I love doing that kind of shit. And I never called myself a writer. I never considered myself a writer. I wrote short stories. I did, you know, in, in English class, writing class, I loved all that, but never like a, a writer for TV or for anything. But I was obsessed with SNL my whole life. And so I did this this pilot they did um, of all their characters and stuff and different sketches from those live shows. And they, they did it. I think maybe Disney produced it and they did this pilot called chucklehead and I was in it and I did different characters in it that I wrote. And I'm just sitting in the green room at, you know, at the post-production you know, I'm pretending I'm an editor and I'm up there telling them all these funny things and having people come up and do ADR and, put words in Jessica's mouth on murder. She wrote, and I'm on my break and, you know, we didn't have cell phones then cause I'm old and there was a phone on the wall and it rang and they Paula it's for you. It was my local agent there. Cause I had done some commercials and she said, are you sitting down? And I said, yes. And she said, Saturday night live saw that pilot and they want to meet you. And, and, uh, they want to meet you like Tuesday. Like it was, Monday, you know, it wasn't, it was like, they want to meet you Thursday and it was Monday. And I was like, what? And they said, it's not an audition. And I was like, well, what, what is it? And they said, well, they just want to talk to you. And it sounded, it actually sounded like so dicey, like, like, uh, like total bullshit. It sounded like somebody was going to be there and be like, okay, so, you know, we have a porn site for, for, you know, short squat ladies called squatties. And, um, we thought you would be good for it. Um, and I was just so completely unable to absorb it because I spent my whole life. No, you know, obsessed with us now, but it wasn't an audition, but all I've ever done is act. And I got my acting degree and, you know, in college and, and it was just so weird. So I flew there. I was terrified And I went and sat and Lauren was a couple hours late for the meeting. So I was sitting, getting to know everyone in the talent department. And then I just came in and sat down and he started into, you know, his talk of like the show has, has risen from the ashes many times. And this is one of those years because it was 95 and it was after they really were tanking. Yeah, it was a big transitional time, right? And they, they hired like 14 writers or something crazy and tons of new actors. And it was when Will Ferrell came and so many new people. And they just said, we're looking for one more writer. And I was like, and I always, I always said it was like, it was like you were an opera singer and you spent your entire life so far. I was in my early thirties 
completely honing your talent of being an opera singer. And then the Met calls you and they, they go, it's not, we don't want to hear you sing. And then they say, we want you to be the accompanist in the, you know, in the, <laughs> yeah. the orchestra, the lead guy, like, it's an amazing job. It wasn't like they were offering me shit. They were just offering me something that I didn't think my skill set was good for. And then it was a terror because it was like, you're going to go to the place that you have dreamed since you were six, you know, 10 years old to go to, to humiliate yourself. And for all the, and all I had heard was like, the writers are these Harvard guys. And I just pictured all these Harvard guys sitting at a table going, who brought young Kathy Bates? Like what, who is this person and why she's not a skilled comedy writer. And so I was so scared and my mom kept saying to me, what's the worst, you know, so you go and you fail and you come back and you got that experience. You got to go. Cause they hired me like right on the spot. They literally said you, you, we, you'd have to be here in five days. And I was just like, and then I really thought something was wrong. Cause I was like, and also my agent was like, don't say yes to anything until we talk. And you know, she was trying to be an agent and saying like, let's do this in all these steps. And, um, and don't agree to be Lauren's au pair and take care of his kids. Yeah. Like just listen, <laughs> listen to the details of the deal. Then I got there and everyone, it was like, it was like going to college again with the best dorm full of people that you could ever imagine and have the most fun every single night. And, you know, my mom and dad would come always to the show a lot from Florida and they would always, no matter what, any friends or family that would come, they just look at me and they go, are these people for real? Because they're all so fucking nice. Like everyone, they couldn't believe how nice everyone was. You didn't feel that sort of like cutthroat competition aspect that some people no, talk because about? we were all new and the, and it had kind of hit a low and we kind of didn't know what the hell we were doing. So everyone was like, let's just do all the stuff we love. Like, let's do all this ideas, the types of things, you know, and I bonded of course with Will and Anna and Sherry and all them, because we had the same kind of characters in our heads. And it was funny because Anna and Will wanted to do these, these, you know, choral teacher characters that ended up being Bobby and Marty. And they wanted to do those because they had music teachers like that. And I got the job off the, um, one of my characters I did for, uh, the chucklehead pilot that, that, uh, SNL saw was a, a music teacher that just walks in and she starts and then she, she does like Led Zeppelin, but in choral. So it was like, Hey mama, say the way you move. Gotta, you know, it was just all these, like totally what we did on Bobby and Marty. So it was such a weird, con, you know, uh, converging of people's bits that were similar and humans that were similar that that had the same kind of heart. My cheese gone cold. I'm wondering. Dear Slim, my name is Marty. I wrote this letter because I don't like to party. If you take drugs, I think you're a wiener. Besides, I can't take them. I'm a teacher at Altadena. I don't do drugs because I got a good hobby. It's kicking at old stool with my fresh wife Bobby. Yes, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. And so it was just a wonderful, wonderful years. And then, you know, I, I stayed there. I just kept staying. It's very hard to leave there when when things are going well. But then when things don't go well, you always you always look and you're like, I don't even know what's out there because it's there's nothing like that place. So you you really have to relearn all the rest of it when you go do other stuff, which I did. I went, I left for a while to do a pilot, and that was a very painful experience because it went down in flames after a few episodes of shooting. And man, I just went there so completely clueless about how the rest of show business worked, you know, yeah, and this now, was like your first and only job in, in show business was, and SNL, there's nothing right? to compare like a sitcom, sitcom writing. There's just not that many crossovers with, with the SNL experience. Cause uh, you know, and, and the good parts about it, are, you know, and don't, please don't tell anyone, especially anyone that's hiring me, but like your brain has to be so lightning fast. It's so nerve wracking. But when you go back into the rest of the world and you work on sitcoms or movies or anything else, it is so slow. And it's just like, I, I would start working on 
you know, TV shows and, and movies and everything, it would be like, okay, well, this shoots, I think, in November. And you're just like, what? Ah. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say it, it would, it would really kind of, I needed that adrenaline shoot and then, you know, adrenaline shot, but I got used to it. And now I'm, you know, I really like it being slow, but, but the, you know, my brain does work so, so much faster because I did that show that sometimes you kind of have to lie at how long it's going to take you to write something or you get <laughs> yeah, paid like, $7. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, do you think you could do this in eight weeks? And you're like, um, I think that's about right. I think that's how, how <laughs> yeah, long. But in reality, like, it's like, I could do it today. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Please don't, please don't let them see that I wrote it in seven days. Uh, um, or seven did, did hours. You, you know, as you said, you were a fan of SNL from when you were a kid. Um, and I'm sure when you were a kid watching, you imagined yourself being in the cast. Did you ever feel jealousy of the of the cast while you were there? Did you try to make the transition into the cast at any point? I never tried to transition. It, it is a very rare thing and it's a very difficult thing. And I just didn't, I didn't have it in me to fight that fight and to kind of like push people, not push people aside, but like you literally are like, infiltrating. And I, I was not an inf infiltrator. I was like a big mama, wise owl, teat, you know, come and I comfort. And I was always the one to like boost people and all that. And, you know, after many years of therapy, I'm recovering that, that part of me in good ways. So I'm not as much like, oh, take my light away and please shine it, shine it on you. The only time I really felt it, a, a very envious part of me and kind of a sadness um, was most of the time was either a host that I had like always wanted to work with or something, you know, where they're like being able to giggle and laugh and do a scene together. Like the, I just yearned for that. But the main thing was music because I had just grown up with so much music in my life, singing all the time, singing for jobs, singing, you know, harmonizing in choirs and music, musical singing groups. And and whenever I would write something with music and we would rehearse it and they'd all have their, their scripts and their music and they're rehearsing it and harmonizing. And I would just, I would really sit there sometimes and go, how did, wait, how did this, how did I end up here as the person like with the, like the adult in the room and all the kids are playing and I'm like writing down things I need to fix on this script. It felt very weird. Um, and that's why I think the show with Girls 5 Eva, the joy of being able to fake sing with a fake group and like just kind of like you said, be a character that's kind of close to myself. And it it's just really it's healing a lot of holes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can it's tell, healing yeah. A, it's healing a lot of a lot of uh, divides in my in my soul because you really don't ever know if you're gonna, you know, people will say, like, I wish I had been able to like, you know, play tennis. And then you hear somebody that's like, I just started playing tennis at 45 and I'm loving <laughs> it and I'm really good at it. So. Yeah. I, I want to get to some of those other projects just um, on SNL again for a minute. I, you were, since you were there for so long, I'm curious how it, how you feel like the show changed. Cause there's a constant to it. There's a format to it. There's, you know, there's so much that stays the same, but did it feel like it changed during the time that oh, you were there? For sure. There were eras that it felt very, and oftentimes those are the eras that either, you know, you're not getting your stuff on because it's not, they're not buying what you're selling at that time. Like it, and it's, it's really because SNL was such a reflection of the whole world of comedy and the whole world period. And like the country and everything it was always such a reflection of that, um, that, you know, as things shifted in what people were watching and it, cause we'd parody so many things. So it, it all ate itself. It's like eating its own tail of like, of like what's out there. And for example, when, when shows started to be, um, you know, when, when the sort of late night world of like the Colbert, like all those things, and, you know, it was kind of around when Tina started there. Yeah, the political stuff. Is the political stuff and the um, the sort of hilarious, deeply acerbic, like edgy, funny, but it's the person saying it and not a character. And I grew up 
in theater. I grew up writing and being weird characters, absorbing them, devouring them in my life because I had hilarious family and hilarious places I'd live and relatives. And I, it was perfect in the years, the early years there, because that's what people were buying is like characters, recurring characters that you go, oh my God, Debbie Downer, oh my God. Uh, and they, they'd love to hear that little music. They loved to hear that they, they loved it. And then it started to lose its charm because they wanted more, you know, we used to call them always like conceptual sketches, which was, it, it wasn't usually something that would recur. It was, it was just a one-off, but it was about the situation and it was sort of uh, about the person, but they're kind of being themselves or, you know, and I feel like that's when I really started feeling a little rudderless there where I was just like, I don't think anybody wants characters anymore. Debbie Downer was so fun because we came up with a very specific, just weird woman, but the, the premise inside that character was something a lot of people experience in their workplace. Yeah, it's very familiar. Or their, yeah, or their like... family. So, so it, that's the ones that are so hard to ever find. And, you know, I probably found it twice in my life. But, but to be able to find that one that not only is just this kind of, you know, her face when it would zoom in. I mean, you're just laughing already at the faces she would make as Debbie Downer. The, the fact that then it's like you'd get so, we would laugh so hard writing it because there'd always be, if you watch old Debbie Downers, there's all, Amy is always sitting next to her and she's trapped. And so we would always try to find the perfect thing that was cryptic enough to annoy the fuck out of Amy's character where, <laughs> where she'd be like, did you hear about China? And it would just be like, what, what Debbie, what I know I, I haven't heard about China. What, what's going on? You know, it's, oh, yeah. bomb. Uh, it's so funny. <laughs> all right. Who wants cake? I want some. I want all some. All right. Oh, you give get me some a rose. Okay. None for me. With all the refined sugars we're eating, America's experiencing a virtual epidemic of juvenile diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I want to say something. It really means the world to have my family here for my birthday. I especially want to thank Uncle Frank for flying all the way in from North Carolina. Uncle Frank! Good thing Jean's out of the picture. Jean? Who's Jean? Hurricane Jean. <laughs> the latest in a string of deadly storms that left thousands of Floridians homeless. They're still counting the fatalities in Haiti. <laughs> but to answer just overall the changes reflected other entertainment stuff that was happening um it reflected in the cast who was like the stars in the cast if they were more like a clown that puts on all different you know things or are they someone who's funny in themselves and and they can just be out there being funny as themselves and then oftentimes those people like, you know, Pete Davidson, people like that would come out and be themselves in a sketch. And they're kind of like almost making fun of it, of like, I'm playing a Greek god, but I'm Pete Davidson. You know, they're, they're being the funny part of themselves and people buy it and they are into it. So it's, it's uh, really gone through a lot of eras when I was working there. And now I feel, I really do, I'm really enjoying this new cast. I've met them recently and... I really am enjoying them because they feel a little bit more old school of. Yeah, I feel that too. Yeah. It just a, a varied different, you know, group of people that are all enjoying each other that are all bring a different flavor, but they're doing a lot of characters, which is making me so happy. While you were at SNL, you started doing more acting roles and I'm sure that must've been a fun outlet to get to do something different and, and be silly on screen um, in 30 rock and parks and rec. Oh my God! There's a room full of just guns. Why do you have so many guns? This is America, isn't it? Yes. Then I don't have to answer stupid questions while standing on my own property. Let's go. Okay, well that's definitely Ron's mom. What did that do for you? And did that sort of, did those experiences make you feel more ready to leave SNL and, and try other things? You know, I, when we... When from the first year I was there, I was in sketches because they put they put 
you know, writers and sketches every week. And they'll, if they need just like a one line or somebody to come in and be like, they don't do it as much, I think, right now because the cast is so huge. When the cat, when I was there, the cast wasn't as big. So a lot of times they just needed someone to go like, uh, you have five minutes, you know, or like yeah, something yeah, in yeah. a sketch. And I'd call my mom and go, I'm going to be on, you know, it would be exciting. But it was so nerve wracking and it was so terrifying. But also I always felt guilty and weird to be doing the acting part because they said, take that hat off. You are a writer now. This is not about an agenda. Like, you know, they told that to everyone that started writing there of like, you know, we, you, we really need your writing. We need you to be engaged with the actors co-writing and like really being in there as a writer and to not just think you're biding your time until you're getting your big chance, you know, all about Eve. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I didn't, I would be so, I was never nervous as an actor. I spent years and years of my life doing theater. I was never nervous. I just, it was just so in my blood. I was like, this is what I meant, meant to do. I got my degree in it. Like I did theater all my life since I was little. But when I would do stuff that was just a little bit of a line or a short thing, it would, I get so nervous and I'm like, what is wrong with you? I used to do like a freaking one woman show, you know, playing Emily Dickinson or something. And I'm like, what is wrong that I, and it was just, I felt weird. I felt guilty. I felt like I'm doing something bad. I was very much a Catholic growing up of like Catholic girl of like, you do what they tell, if they tell you at the beginning, you're not supposed to do that. Don't do, you know, don't do that. So I always felt like I was doing something a little bad. Then as years went by and all my friends were doing their own shows and they'd say, will you come play this weird person? I'd still be really nervous. I just wasn't fully in my game. I wasn't like fully, fully um, feeling totally comfortable, but I would do it and have fun. And I never really connected it where I was like, oh, I'm going to bolt now and you know, I'm ready to do this again because I had a pretty good thing going in terms of making a living with writing. So I was kind of like, this is something that I learned on my feet and I really do love it a lot. And it's what I really make most of my, you know, income is writing. So this might be some little fun side thing to do. And then something switched as I got much older where, you know, if somebody wanted me, I was like, yeah, I'll go do that. And, and I started relaxing and having more fun and then when I did girls, well, before that I did Mapleworth for, you know, for Roku. Well, it's on Roku and it was, yeah, you know, originally Quibi. Quibi thing. And then it <laughs> went to Roku and, and that was such an amazing, hilarious, fun thing to do with John Lutz. And we wrote the whole thing and we had yeah, and you so got to be much, the lead. Yeah. Oh my God. We had so much fun, but it was like a character I had, you know, I'd always wanted to do a murder. She wrote parody yeah, and full be, circle. Je be Jessica. <laughs> yeah. It, full circle. And I, I just was like, oh, because that's when I really started being like, I love this. I love this so much, but it's also easy. It's like really, truly easier. It's so much easier than, than writing. And I'm not saying that all acting is because some acting is very, very difficult. And for some people, acting is very difficult and they do it and they're incredible at it. But it was one of those things in my life that I just, I could just do it. And I felt it's like, you know, some people can just sit down and play a piano and they're, they're good at it. And I just always did that. But writing was something I, I feel proud of what I've written. I feel accomplished, but it is always hard. It's always, it always feels hard. I was going to say, it's probably the same for the show, uh, the Kevin Hart show, um, Die Harder 2, which uh, Harder. is another one that got uh, resurrected from, from Quibi, I believe. Yes. Um, um, and is on Roku. Um, but that's another one where, where you're just sort of coming in and, and get to have fun, right? Oh my God. I had so much fun and we shot it in Atlanta and I got to be Ben Schwartz's mom who I've never met Ben. And now we are just deeply, deeply bonded. Um, but from the very first scene we ever, we were just this gross mom and son and, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, they, they called me and said, they cut, we are so enmeshed in it and it's just, it's terrifying and hilarious. And I, and I have moments in it that are very Kathy Bates in misery. And that's kind of <laughs> when they first cast me, they were like, it's, 
she's like a, you know, a real sweet, loving mom to to Ben, but then she kind of turns into a little bit of Kathy Bates from Misery. I was like, because Kathy Bates is the other one I grew up with where I was like, I just want to be Kathy Bates. Like, I want to do everything like Kathy Bates did. I want to be like well-known in theater, but like not like it, not the big, you know, I didn't want to be like the big celebrity star. Yeah. I wanted to be actors. the one yeah. that people are like an actor loves that an actor's like, Oh, my favorite actor is, is Kathy Bates. And so I, I, I just dreamt of that, of that. And when I saw misery, like my brain broke, it was, she was just so weird and great in that. And, um, so it, I was channeling her some in it. Um, Kevin was hilarious and so fun to work with. And then I got to work with Natalie Emanuel, who's incredible. And she became like my adopted daughter and she's amazing. We had so much fun. And then John Cena, you know, I had worked with in sisters and he is like one, one, one person that I, I want to keep working with my whole life. Cause he's, he is truly so good and so funny. And, and you're just like, how did you how are you so fun? Like, how did you, you did this other thing? Like, you, you know, you, he's so fucking funny. And so was Kevin. Kevin Hart, America's treasure. It's a family. No, you don't have to. No. Uh. And, and Jordan King. Or should I call you Wheezy? Well, no, that's just a role I'm not paid nearly enough to play. Uh, Jordan is fine. Oh, come here. I gotta squeeze you. Come oh. here. Oh. You two gotta eat. We're gonna have a feast. Andre, go to the freezer. We're gonna defrost the Christmas pork chops. We're doing the Christmas pork chops? No. We've been know. waiting for this for like six years. I don't think we have that much time. You don't um, have to do that. We don't want to steal you. You love it. You guys saved that meat. Okay. You're eating my meat. Tell him, Mom. Tell him. No, no, no. no. You're going to want my meat. No, we don't want your meat. And people talk about it all the time. Well, we Did don't. Did you hurt yourself? Uh, this is not. Did you I know just... there was. Ah, shit, woman! Did you know there was blood there? Yeah. And I... up here? Ow! Ow! Stop! God, you are Kevin Hart. You can't walk around with bloody clothes on. You're too sophisticated. Take your shirt off. Come well, on, I'm going to well, wash it. Well, that's I, I'm already doing a bloody load. Come on, take it off. It was really um, a blast and it was so fun because I'm doing more, you know, in the end of last season, I, of course, beat up the Property Brothers in Girls 5 Eva and I'm getting so many in AP Bio, you know, I got to really do a lot of stunts and I'm doing a lot more uh, physical stuff. So it was really fun in this, even though I wasn't doing like the stunts because they were doing heavy duty stunts i mean you're you're basically an action star now yeah now now i'm like hey bring it on bring it on um all you uh <laughs> big movie makers that make these movies where i could have some giant headdress and be like <laughs> in a giant planet of mushrooms and i'm like a, a old lesbian superhero write it somebody write it i don't know how to write that shit so we end the show uh, with a segment called The First Laugh. So uh, I want to run through some of these um, real quick if we have a, a few minutes. Um, and uh, starting with the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid. Is there something that you can remember that, that really stood out? Uh, well, SNL for sure. And then the other thing was I used to imitate um, I used to imitate Gelda Radner doing Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana, and I, and I had the wig and everything and I would do it at my school for my high school. Um, but I was obsessed with that, but I really also loved, uh, George Carlin cause my parents had a George Carlin album and it was class, class clown album. And I used to die laughing at that. And we, we, we just loved, loved that. And then, you know, I just loved all those like you know, uh, all in the family and all, all those, all those sitcoms of the seventies, uh, Mary Tyler Moore. And those were all my, my faves. Um, what was the actual first sketch that you got on SNL? The, the first thing that you wrote that actually made it on the show? The first sketch I got on, I think was probably like a cheerleaders or something like that. One of the recurring pretty things. Um, but the first, I very much remember, I remember, the first two things that I, that I, one, one was the first thing I got on period that was just my name. Cause that's a big thing is you collaborate with the actor, you collaborate with another writer, but when you ever write something yourself and then you get it in, it's like a little part of you that feels a little bit more relieved of like, okay, I'm not an imposter. I deserve to be here. And I play, I did this out of my own head, you know? And, 
I wrote a, a sketch about and Nancy. It was the first season. It was Nancy Walls um, in the cast playing a woman who got called in in a plus size store to work that day. And she was not a plus size person. And she was very clueless about plus size experience. So she was like super insulting in a very passive aggressive way about, you know, maybe <laughs> just get like a bigger hat and like really bring the eyes up. And it was all this experience I had had as a fat woman. And I, you know, got, got big laughs at the table and they put it in. Oh my God, I can't believe they put it in. I'm so excited. And Steve Corin, uh, who was one of the great, you know, fun, great guys there that I loved writing with. He, he said, um, get out there. Like, during, during air, he was like, get, get out there and watch the audience laugh. It's your sketch. It's SNL. Like go stand and feel there, you know, don't hide in the back. Yeah. And so I went out on the floor and I was just standing, watching it. My heart was pounding out of my chest. It started. And every joke that was like indicting people that hate fat, it was like indicting them. But the audience thought probably some dude wrote it. That was some little skinny dude. So everyone was going, oh, oh, God, oh, uh, like nobody was yeah, like, they were all groans, judging yeah. it. And I was absolutely mortified. It, I think it got cut. It might've been at the dress rehearsal, but then the first one that I got like real big, genuine laughs was right after, um, that I wrote by myself. One of the first ones was, um, Wilford Brimley, John Goodman playing Wilford Brimley. <laughs> And I was so excited to do it. And it was actually right after, I think it was right after 9-11, maybe. They thought I had anthrax because I had a sore on my arm. And I went to the doctor and they were like, because it was right after anthrax was in the building. And they were like, I think this might be anthrax. Oh so they God. put me, they put me in the hospital. My mom came to visit to see the show and they put me in the hospital and I watched it in like, you know, New York Presbyterian with like this fucked up old TV that had two images. Like it was so screwed up. It was scattered. So I watched <laughs> my sketch get big laughs from a blurry, like scattered, sc you know, scrambled TV. But those are the, those are the times that you just, if it does get laughs where just your whole body, like the minute you feel that they are on board and that first couple laughs happen, you're like, okay, they're going to take the ride and, and we're going to enjoy it. And, and, uh, yeah, that's the answer to that one. You didn't have anthrax though, right? I did not. I just had that's some good. staph infection that ladies oh, yeah. that just have a lot of regular, animals get. Regular, you know? yeah. um, I'm sure you've met so many incredible people during your time you know, at SNL and elsewhere. Do you remember the first time you met one of your really big comedy heroes and, and what it was like to meet them? Uh, you know, probably, it was probably like, uh, you know, Steve Martin and... Um, Martin Short, those kind of fellows from that, from that era. And then, you know, Chris Farley, when people would come that were like people that I loved watching and thought were so, were so funny. And I, re and I did at one of the early, um, anniversary shows of SNL of, of meeting like Jane Curtin, different people like that, that I lived, I lived for, you know, all those ladies of that first era of SNL. And I never met Gilda. I, I, I never met Gilda, but she was like always my fave. Um, and, uh, and Jan Hooks was my fave. And I met Jan Hooks at third at 30 rock because when I worked one year writing at 30 rock, it was the year Jan Hooks was there. Oh, that's very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and then sometimes I, sometimes I would just love meeting, like, you know, doing a sketch with De Niro or somebody where you're like giving, you'd have to go in and give him a comedy note, you know, and it's <laughs> De Niro. And he's, he, I got to know him over a few shows of him coming and I did a sketch with him that did really well that then, you know, it's, it's always, it always depends on how your experience was with them because sometimes it would be somebody you're so excited and then your sketch died and you don't even ever work with them the whole week or you, or it's somebody that you loved and they, you got to do a sketch with them that they loved. Then they remember, they remember you and they're, you can have a little relationship with them. Finally, is there a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened? Oh, brother. That's such a good one. Something that made me laugh then you mean? 
something that makes you laugh now, but you know, oh. has, has become funny with time, but was not funny when it happened. Oh, was not funny. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it was when I, <laughs> one of the things that comes to mind is in one of those times that I was in a sketch, I had to be in the, I was in the monologue and, and I was playing some weirdo in the audience and I'm, I'm supposed to turn and just say one line. And, and I was so nervous and I was so, and, and I'm out there and I'm really trying to like do that acting is reacting where you're like really into the other and like play, <laughs> like you're setting it up, you're setting it up. And then I completely missed my line and I just <laughs> stood there and the, and the camera was on me and it, it's live. It is live. And I was, I said it but the camera had been on me for a second. And then all of a sudden I realized that it was my line. They were like pointing and I said the line and I ran, like I went on the elevator. I ran down this very long hall in 30 rock and I ran up and went in the elevator and went up to my office and closed the door. And I was like uncontrollably crying. And somebody <laughs> came in and they were like, Paul, what are you? And I'm like, the camera was on me. I'm live fucking TV. And I'm just staring at it, you know? And I was just so mortified. <laughs> And nobody to this day, like, I don't know if I ever looked it up. I it was too painful to Who look up. Who was the host? I, I, I do not remember. But I will <laughs> tell you a, one fun fact is that my, uh, I have permission always from my wife to tell this, is that when I met my wife, I, I went on a date with her six years ago. And, we, you know, she was a, a stand-up and, and a writer and a comedian and actor and stuff. And we started talking and she said that when she was young, she was in high school, she had cancer and she did a make a wish where she went to go see SNL cause she loved it so much. And I was, I was a writer there and I was in the <laughs> monologue. So we like watched that show. It was Eminem and um, Rob Lowe. I'm a huge fan of the West Wing. Thank you very much. And I was so psyched when they won nine Emmys. Thank you. Thank how, you. Uh, how many did you win? None. Oh, well, it's still an honor to be nominated. I wasn't nominated. Oh, well, working with so many talented actors, it's a reward in itself. Yes. And we, we sit there and we're like, that's when we met. Like, I mean, she was that's not amazing. She was not of age. Yeah, she was yeah. a senior in high school, but, <laughs> and I, but I was young, but it was, it, uh, it's just that's so, it's so strange. The, the live aspect there is so insane. Cause you're just, you're just sitting there sometimes going, you know, that part of you that wants to do something bad. Like if you're in church or you just be like, what if I just took my shirt off and went and shook my titties on the altar. And it's just like. <laughs> You just sit there sometimes in the live audience when you're standing waiting for your sketch where you're just like, I could literally just like walk through a sketch, like just walk through it and be like, yeah, like you could just, it's that part of us, probably Catholic people have it more than anybody of like the suppressed bad girl. Like you never were Burn ever bad. Down. Now you want to be bad, you know? <laughs> Um, well, as I said, I feel like there were a million things we didn't get to talk about, um, including your incredible documentary now episode, which is one of my favorites, another uh, musical moment that, that was so really incredible. Filled my soul, filled um, my soul. But, uh, so maybe you can come back uh, another time and we can tell even more stories. I would uh, love it. This was wonderful. Thank this you so much for doing this. This is the first of a series. So call me anytime. Yeah. All right. Sounds okay. good. Nice meeting you. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Paula. You too. Bye. Bye. Okay. That was an absolute delight. So thanks again to Paula Pell for joining me on this week's episode. You can see Paula on Die Hard 2, Die Harder, streaming on Roku starting March 31st. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. 
You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.